Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. Possibility. This is his last at bat of 1998. Take a good long look. This is going to have to last you until next March in Florida. First and third, two out. That was Mark McGuire's 70th home run. Wow, that's a lot. In 1998. Man. It was. That's it a lot a of lot. homers. That's a lot of homers. Holy moly. And um, the anniversary of the home run was actually yesterday, September 27th, 1998. And of course, we're sitting here waiting for uh, Aaron Judge to... At some point, 61 and 62, and the early estimates on the value of the ball that I've seen, and you know, keep in mind that the value of the ball is ultimately going to be whatever somebody decides they want to pay for it. Mm-hmm. But the initial, and, and this struck me as being a little low, uh, mm-hmm. the initial valuations I've seen, and this is courtesy of Spotrack, a uh, Spotrack re- website, were uh, 200 to 300,000 for 61, 500,000 to 600,000 for 62. Um, and, and I would think the value would, you know, the value will go up if it's the last ball he hits. That's sure the ball that'll have, uh, that'll have the most value. Um, and of course, Aaron Judge has got one more game left tonight in Toronto before the, J- uh, before the Yankees uh, leave. I think there's a chance he doesn't play tonight. Uh, you know, the Yankees celebrated last night. He's had two days on artificial turf. They may want to, you may want to, you may want to have maximize his chances of doing it at home. I understand you can get too cute with these things. I'm sure if you asked Aaron Judge, he'd rather have broken it last night. Mm-hmm. We can just all move on. But, um, or at least hit that, that home run, we can all move on. But that, that's where we are with Aaron Judge. As I mentioned, September 27th, 1998. Mark McGuire hit his seventh home run. Our next guest caught the home run ball. He is Phil Ozerski, and uh, he is the Cardinals fan who caught McGuire's 70th home run ball and uh, ended up selling it for a cool $3 million. $2.7 million, million after the auction fee. Phil, thanks so much for joining uh, Kevin Barker and myself. I'm sure as Aaron judged as this thing has gone on, uh, you've probably had some folks reach out to you. I'm interested. I mean, there's a lot about your, the story of the 1998 ball that I didn't know and that I, I find fascinating. But I'll just ask you this first question. You bought a ticket to go to that game. Did you buy a ticket thinking, okay, I want to sit in a certain area because if I sit here, I got a pretty good chance of having Mark McGuire hit the ball in the general vicinity. Are you just... Cardinals fan, Phil Ozerski, I want to go see history. I want to go see a ball game. 
So what it was, we actually were in a party box that was booked before the season. Uh, I worked in a, a lab that worked on the Human Genome Project and DNA, and we were all like, we went to one game a year, and before the season we were like, what would be a cool game, the last game of the year, and it was all decided way before. But I was also a season ticket holder to the St. Louis Rams, and I'd never missed a game uh, to that point. So leading up to the game, it wasn't really like, oh, this is a big decision going to see the, the, the Rams play the Cardinals or see the Cardinals play the, the uh, Expos. It right. was like, here's a chance to see history. So, yeah. Uh, I'm a, a, a sports fan and a baseball fan, and the opportunity to possibly see history was the draw. All right. What are you thinking as the ball is coming towards you? Are you even aware that the ball is coming towards you? Oh, yeah. I mean, so he, so Mark McGuire hit 69 earlier that game, and, like, uh, that – that ball was a little more had a little more arc to it, and you're like, oh my gosh! And it really it went over where we were. It was like, wow, that's probably as close to history as we'll get. Uh, being be, be, have it go over our heads, and then uh, he came up a couple more innings later in the seventh, and like, I mean, he crushed that ball. That ball was screaming on a line, and I mean. It was a flash, but, like, over the third baseman's head, you're like, oh, my God, it's coming, like, towards us right now. And uh, there are three big picture windows uh, in the stadium, and two of them had metal bleachers, and so I was on metal bleachers, and we all congregated to try to catch it. It ricocheted off of somebody's hand. I mean, that was all, like, slow motion because I remember it still 24 years later vividly like the ball comes in this was a cement wall and I started to turn I saw one of my co-workers eyes looking behind me and I turned around and five feet away from me under these bleachers with nobody between me and the ball is the ball and <laughs> I dove on it and it wasn't like a, 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 a football game where you like it tumbles around much right in my hand and I covered landed on top of it and the rest of the history. Bill, what did you do when you when you got it in your hands? The first thing that went through your mind was what? <laughs> uh, this is gonna be funny. So like <laughs> I was a football player and I had separated my shoulder and I was supposed to be in the harness and I was like how am I going to get up? <laughs> that was pretty much what through, through my head. So it's like if I if I try to get up with my my good my good arm, if somebody hits me, it's going to be painful. And I might drop the ball. Like so, I just laid there, and literally people picked me up and doused me with beer. And we were in a party box, so I knew ninety nine percent of the people, and we were all excited and. Soon after that, there was pounding on the door of the suite, and and the police were like, let us in. We have to escort the person with the ball. And from there, they escorted me down to behind home plate, and Major League Baseball authenticated the ball, 
um, the ball had like a visible number on it, and it also had like invisible ink that was you're able to see with blue light. And Major League Baseball authenticated that it was really the ball. And from there, I went through like the car wash of ESPN and um, Fox Sports and uh, KMOX with Jack Buck, who iconic uh, newscast or sportscaster in St. Louis and the nation. But yeah, it was crazy. So okay, now now explain. So you got the ball and. I would presume Mark McGuire wants the ball. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I would presume he wants the ball. Explain how, explain what happened. You know, you, Phil, you've got the police escorting you down there. The ball is authenticated. How does it get from behind home plate in your hands to Todd McFarlane buying it for $3 million at an auction? So, um, during the, so it was the seventh inning. By the time I, I went on all those different uh, uh, media outlets, uh, they the Cardinals had me go to McGuire's press conference. So um, my now wife and I and the, the gentleman Kerry Wood Woodson who caught sixty uh, nine. Mm-hmm. And his buddy all sat in the front row of Mark McGuire's press conference with, like, I mean, a ton of media. It was that big a thing at the time. The, the home run chase captivated not only baseball fans but uh, worldwide. And there were rows and rows of, of journalists wanting to ask them questions. And here we are, like, we're looking at each other, like, we're in the front row of this press conference. And then after the press conference, um, they put us in. They took us into a, uh, a room, that, like a trainer's office, and basically uh, a representative from the Cardinals was like, "Hey, um, the Cardinals will like Mr. McGuire will meet you if you decide to give the ball back now." And I was like, "Well, I would like to meet him first, and then I'll decide." Type thing, not the other way around and they were pretty uh, staunch on the policy that they had put in place uh, they put that in place after 63 uh, or Mark Miller's 63rd home run of that season it was uh, the first day of a double header mm-hmm. and uh, the gentleman who caught it he and his buddy were up in the press box for whole second game and they started writing a list of like things that would be cool to trade the ball for and it became this huge list and and it got into the press and the Cardinals felt like it was they were holding it for for ransom type thing and they were just like well from now on we're we're offering a a bat of ball and a jersey signed by McGuire and then you can meet them type thing We're we're not trying to make this into something bigger than it is. And that was pretty much their policy from then on, and that's how they handled the situation with the 70th home run. And, I mean, it was frustrating as a fan, but at the same time, like, I could have, when I met him, I might have given him the ball, just like uh, Mike Kessler gave uh, Aaron Judge the 60th home run. Right. 
was was there something cool out of that whole situation that happened to you that you've never told anybody before that you can tell us? <laughs> um, I don't know about never told anybody, but like that night, um, it was hard to sleep. Obviously, like so many things running through my mind and uh, my not, my girlfriend, my wife. Um, we finally settled it into our house and like I couldn't sleep and I'm like hey I'm gonna take these videos back to Blockbuster this is how long ago it was right video <laughs> videotapes from Blockbuster but I'm like oh they're due tonight I'm gonna go um, she's like oh I'm tired I'm like so I drive there and I'm listening to the radio and there are the newscasters are talking about uh, what would you do if you caught the ball. So I had the ball in like a Ziploc baggie. I put it into the the uh, um, glove box and I grabbed these videos. And they're just about to close and, and there's pretty much three Blockbuster workers and myself and I'm handing them in. I'm like, hey, I was just in the car listening and they're talking about McGuire hitting 70 and blah, blah, blah. They're, we had this conversation that and the manager's like, yeah, that, that's fun, but it's not like any of us caught it. Like, go home, dude. And I was like, well, if you really want to know, it's in the car. Is the ball. I, I caught it. And they're like, really? They believed so you? Walking out, the manager's like, I sure hope you're not like some kind of serious killer. <laughs> and I brought the ball out, and they got to got to hold it and, 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 and look at it and stuff. So that was kind of a... a cool little moment awesome all right so you now you you've left that room did you what was that that like you know you've got the ball you're not going to give it up because you know you want to meet mark mcguire first there must have been a point where the standoff where either you or the cardinals just said look let's you know let's address this down the road and and kind of because i've got to think you're probably sitting there you're aware that this thing is going to have a dollar value at some point right Right, for sure. And, um, I mean, that wasn't really necessarily forefront of my mind, but at the same time, uh, it was very surreal. Like, all of a sudden, I'm walking out of Bush Stadium, and some of my uh, friends had stuck around, uh, and I basically got into one of uh, my coworkers' minivan, and they drove me back to um the lab and there are a couple people there and we show like we we talked about it and took pictures with the ball and stuff like that and then um i mean that was still early days of of cell phones so i had a cell phone and my phone was kind of blowing up and and it was very crazy and trying to figure out family and where to go and what to do and by the time I got back to my parents' house, there was an offer like there was an offer for one point two five million dollars on the fax machine. Wow! And so, uh, did the Cardinals try to? Did they try to? Bad phrase. Did they try to play hardball with you to get get you to give up the Great ball? Question. Was there any negotiating? Like. Um, okay, you know what? Let's go. We'll go talk to Mr. McGuire and see if he'll come out first. Or how did that whole thing happen? No, that was pretty. I mean, I 
I was definitely a little frustrated, and um, there might have been several innings of beer mixed into that craziness. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, they were pretty. They were pretty adamant that that it was pretty much this line drawn in the sand. Like, you, if you give it back, then you can meet them. And I was like, okay, then that's fine. And I was at peace with that decision and mm-hmm. um, and moved on. I mean, I definitely talked to people at the Cardinals. I ended up giving $70,000 to Cardinal Care, the Cardinals um, charitable mm-hmm. uh, foundation, and which benefits uh, St. Luke youth organizations. And, and um, I had a rapport with, I mean, I know William DeWitt III. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've run into him on on a, a flight to Florida, and he recognized me, and I and we talk. And I, it's it's not like it's, there's any bad blood type thing. It, mm-hmm. It's just what it was. And I mean, Tim Fernaris, who the the, the person who caught uh, Mark McGuire's 62nd home run, he gave back the ball. It's I mean. It's all in what happens and what works for you. And, and, I mean, I guess in hindsight, luckily for me, uh, it didn't play out to where I had the opportunity to meet McGuire and give it back. Right. And, I mean, tons of people were, not just myself, I mean, obviously I benefited uh, quite a bit from the proceeds of the ball, and uh, I was able to buy houses for my parents to my my father had a stroke when uh in 1986 and he was paralyzed on on one side of his body and he ended up living without a doubt longer than he ever would have otherwise and uh being able to go to florida and so forth every year and and my wife was able to choose to go or stay home and and raise our kids and stuff like that. I mean, I still have a job. I still go to work. um, And I'm a genetic scientist, and I love what I do. And, I mean, life's pretty regular. I mean, Mm -hmm. Darren Ravel, who posts every once in a while about the story because – we have a rapport and he likes the story he posts on the anniversary and it, it kind of uh floods through flows through the the internet and and all of a sudden people who know me like i don't go around like with a big sticker on my forehead saying i caught mark mcguire's sending a home run ball all of a sudden there's people in my life that are like uh i just saw this like <laughs> did you really do this like can you tell stories? And I'm like, oh, of course, I'll tell you stories. I got thousands of stories from from that whole thing. Like one after the other, I can I can tell you super entertaining stories. But like, I'm not the type of person that goes around being like, hey, I caught the ball, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. But no, it's it's something that was super fun. It, I mean, it's it's fun to reminisce about it. And 24 years later, I mean, it's exciting. Like pool holes. Uh, St. Louis Cardinal. He just hit his 700th home run, and like I'm going to the game on Saturday. I'm going to watch the Cardinals just clinched. I mean, I'm super excited. 
And I'm actually taking my son and going with my sister to Pittsburgh to watch one of their their last games. Oh, that's so cool. So we want to see Pools a couple times, and we're we're big baseball fans and sports fans, so it's still there. Very cool. Uh, so you eventually did meet Mark McGuire, though, right? I did. And how did that come about? Uh, and what was his reaction? I went. So after I sold the ball, um, the director of Cardinal Care gave me a ticket. Excuse me, hold on. Um, uh, got me a ticket to the St. Louis Baseball Writers' Dinner, mm-hmm. and uh, um, McGuire was there. Jim Tomey was there. Um, the Cardinal um, Hall of Famers like uh, Lou Brock and Bob Gibson and. Joe Torre was there. I mean, uh, the, there's the panel of, of players that were at this dinner was quite amazing. And uh, here I am. I got a single ticket. I'm at the back of this ballroom. I don't know anybody at my table. And they decide to auction off this caricature of Mark McGuire. And it starts going, and people are bidding. And... Uh, to, like people had figured out who I was, and they're like, "Oh, hey, like you should bid on that. That'd be a super cool story." And they they egged me on to to do it. And uh, halfway through, McGuire stands up and says, "I'll sign it personally to whoever gets it." And I'm like, oh, "Okay." Like, <laughs> and like eleven thousand dollars later, uh, I have a caricature, and I'm walking up and. Uh, Bob Costas is the MC of this, and he's he he doesn't know me from Adam, and he uh, he's like telling a joke about like he's like wow besides these baseball players the only person I can think that could afford to to pay for that much for this character caricature is that dude that just sold the ball, and then like the baseball writers behind him like Bernie Miklos from the the St. Louis Post are like. Uh, Bob, that is Dolozerski who caught the 70th home run. And then I go up on stage and meet everybody. And then McGuire and I are like meeting each other for the first time. And he's like, Well, I'm going to like write this out to you. And I'm kind of nervous. Like, what should I say? I'm like, I don't know. What, what you, you say whatever you want. He's like, Okay, I got it. He's like, Starts writing. He's like, I'm, He's like, I'm not stupid. But, like, all these people, like, how do you smell catch? And I'm, like, looking at him. I'm, like, uh, I don't know. That's <laughs> the baseball writers. <laughs> like, the simplest word, right? Right. Like, we, we all both knew how to spell it. But, like, it was, like, totally over our heads at the in the moment. So he's, like, uh, two fill, great catch, Mark McGuire, 70. And, and that's the story of us meeting, like, he was larger than life. I mean, he was like I'm not a small guy, but like holy smokes, like his his arms were bigger than my thighs. Like yeah. it was it's it's crazy. Like he was a big dude. Yeah. <laughs> he had the Popeye arms. He did. Phil, listen, we really appreciate you joining us. Terrific story. That's Thanks so stuff. much, man. Be Thanks, well. Phil. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was nice talking to you, Jeff and Kevin. Take Thank care. Thank you. Thank you. That's Phil Ozerski who caught Mark McGuire's that's home awesome. run ball in 1998. Sold it for $3 million. And uh, 
That's interesting. The, 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 the Cardinals having a clear-cut policy that you can meet the guy after you return the ball. See, I don't know. Remember I said if I caught the ball, I'd return it in return for... Sure. Um, I would have to, if it was Aaron Judge, I, I, would, I would make meeting Aaron Judge part of that deal. Like, I wouldn't do it unless I met Aaron Judge. I can, I can get why Phil would do that. I can kind of get that. I, I, I actually now... now the more first I think and it, then give the ball. Not yeah, the other way around. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. And I I mean, I don't know. God, I I've if you're a baseball player, you you play in front of fifty odd thousand fans a night. How hard can it be to go over and say, Hey, Phil, Mark McGuire? I don't know. But I also know from covering from being part of the media circus around the McGuire Sosa thing, I also know that it was on a day to day basis. It was really wearing on McGuire. Mm-hmm. The two people handled it differently. McGuire uh, was, well, I mean, just in terms of their personality, Sammy, whatever people may think of Sammy and steroids, Sammy had a good heart and was a, and he was a fun guy to mm-hmm. be around. Yep. He had a lot of fun going after the home runs. Like He just did. He played it up and he did. He had his regular media availabilities and yeah, they had press conferences, but you could talk to Sammy on the field before the, I mean, he was Sammy. Mm -hmm. He was Sammy and he was playing for the Cubs and everybody was having fun. McGuire, there was a news conference and it was, McGuire would sit up there and you you felt uncomfortable for him because here's this big dude and it's obvious that he would rather be any place on the planet mm-hmm. other than talking to the media. Yep. And, of course, he'd seen the, you know, the, the andro had been found in his locker and all this stuff. And there was a real, as the narrative developed, it was Sammy Sosa, the good dude, happy-go-lucky guy, always smiling, having fun, got some goofy teammates. Mm-hmm. They're the Cubs. You're in the bleachers drinking beer. Sammy's hitting home runs. Mm-hmm. It's, like a, it's like a frat party. It's like a frat party, and Sammy's like the ringmaster, and everybody's having fun. McGuire, it was, oh, do we have to talk to this guy? <laughs> and he's sitting up there saying, oh, do I have to look at these people? It, it, it was remarkable how... Who's your favorite? Too? I mean, so, covering Sosa was fun. Like, Sammy literally... And, and the thing is, you know, Sammy... People see Sammy... Smile for days. Well, the yeah. people see Sammy in the congressional hearing where Sammy didn't speak English and had an interpreter. Sammy's English was, I mean, I interviewed Sammy. I spoke to Sammy in English all the time and all the writers did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and, and I understand, Hey, if I'm in front of Congress and it's not my first language, damn right. I'm having to translate. No absolutely right. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have a translator. I have no problem with that, but it was just so, it was kind of sad because the Sammy that you saw up there in front of Congress kind of squirming and not comfortable, completely different than the guy you saw in the field. Mm -hmm. Like, he embraced it. He wanted to be part of this. He understood what he was doing. And it was, you never got the impression with Sammy Sosa that he was put out by things. Mm -hmm. It was just part of it. It was just part of it. Yep. Mark McGuire, you got the impression very much that you were interfering in what he's doing. Now, you also got to keep in mind, right? Mark McGuire came from Oakland, small media market, goes to St. Louis, really small media market, mm-hmm. two newspapers. Mm-hmm. 
Sammy Sosa, he's in Chicago. Big media market. Yep. Two, three papers actually then. Lots of TV stations. You've got WGN, so you got national exposure. So Sammy kind of grew up with that, but yeah, there was no there was no comparison in in which if you had to pick a circus mm-hmm. to go on, it would like be following a political campaign. You wanted to be with you wanted to be in Team Sammy because it was goofy and the you know people in Chicago, the bleachers, they were making up their own T-shirts and mm-hmm. selling them. When he ran on the field and pointed at everybody, yeah, it was fun. Yeah, it was, it was fun yeah. and. You know, that it's, if you're going to, and as much as I liked Barry Bonds as a player, it was watching Bonds and that finishing kick going after the record was just, there's nothing worse than being in a room with a bunch of people who don't want to be there looking at a guy who hate, who it's not that he hates you. He just doesn't like you. He doesn't, he didn't like the media and he didn't, frankly, didn't need the media. Mm-mm. And I always tell the story, Steve Klein, who was a teammate of Barry Bonds's and who I knew from when he pitched for the Montreal Expos, I was just talking to him one day in the clubhouse. We were waiting for Barry to come out. And, um, and we were chatting, and I said, hey, just that interest sake. Steve was a, really, like a, he was a baseball fan. Mm-hmm. Just out of interest sake. You got any memorabilia from this? He said, are you kidding? And I said, what, you don't have a signed ball or a bat? He said, no freaking chance. You think I'm enjoying this? Seriously. Wow. And and that was, you know, Barry's, Barry didn't make it easy in his teammates because the writers hung around the clubhouse waiting for Barry to come out. And when you're hanging around the clubhouse, you're getting in everybody's way. Sammy's a little different. Sammy realized, okay, these dudes are here to see me. If I come out and talk to them now and entertain them for 10 minutes, we're all going to laugh. We're going to have fun. They're going to get their clips. Then they're going to bugger off. And clubhouse life can continue. Mm-hmm. Bonds wasn't like that. Yeah. So it was it was an interesting study in in how these three guys handled it handled it differently. And of course, I'm not around Aaron Judge on a day to day basis, but talking to the New York writers, you know, I really get the sense Aaron Judge seems to be he seems to have this figured out. Yep. And I think it helps that he's got you know he's got a really good PR staff. Jason Zillow's done it for a long time. He's there's nothing that you know is gonna is gonna be a curveball for him. Aaron Boone's a media guy, mm-hmm. so I think it helps a little bit, but doesn't hurt. Sure. But yeah, the McGuire Sosa thing was—it uh, was just weird. It was—it uh, was very strange. And that the Phil Ozerski story, though, is that—that's pretty funny. Going up, going up and bidding eleven thousand dollars in an auction to finally get Mark <laughs> McGuire's autograph. Uh, Sweeney Murdy is a Yankees reporter with WFAN. He'll join us next. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet five ninety, the Fan three sixty, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. Starting Monday, be sure to tune into the J.D. Bunkus podcast weekday mornings at nine on Sportsnet 590 The Fan or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Going back and forth here about what we do if we caught. No, no, we're not. No, I know I, what I do. I know what I do. Yeah, you, well, you keep the money. You, Absolutely, you, you'd want the money. Absolutely. And I'm just kind of disappointed because I figured as a, as a well, I figured as a former ball player, you'd have a little sense of the romance yeah, of the I'm game. More, I'm more of a former minor leaker, Jeff. <laughs> okay. 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 You know, you know take it paid. Yeah, I know, but I'm I'm sticking with I wouldn't I wouldn't 
pulled it out for money. I'm I'm sticking with I would I would I'd go uh, I'd I'd say really? I gotta figure it out. Two tickets to opening day, box seats, hotel get, accommodation for anyway. two nights you get and that airfare. Anyway. No, I don't get hotel accommodation and airfare. You're, you're such a liar. That's what I would ask Raise in return right for hand. I would. That's what I would ask in return for Aaron Judges for the baseball. I would. I'm not gonna well, you put it up for auction you or anything like that. Anyway. You wouldn't get it anyway. You're right, I probably wouldn't. You get ran over. I probably would. I'm old and slow. Get out of the way. Get out of the way. <laughs> Run over the fat guy. Get yeah. the ball. Let's bring in Sweeney Murdy, Yankees reporter with WFN. How you doing, Sweeney? Oh, uh, Sweeney. I'm good, guys. How are you? We're doing well. We're just we had the uh, dude on who caught McGuire's uh, 70th home run ball, and 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 I'm I'm trying to convince Barker. Barker's like, I just figured as a, as a former ball player he'd be a romantic you and he'd, he'd return the ball. And Barker said, "No, I'm a former minor <laughs> leaguer. I want the money." He figured wrong. <laughs> and here I am. Oh, you know, here uh, I am being. Uh, I, I'd be that guy. I don't want. I don't want money. Uh, yeah, I don't you want are money. that yeah. guy for sure. Yeah. yeah, I I'm. I think I'm. I think I'm always. I think I've always been more like you, Blair, than Barker. But uh, I think I'm. I'm on your side here too. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It is. It is funny. It will be interesting to see how this uh, transpires. Hey, uh, Yankees got the division title. Um, yeah, I'll look at for a lot of us thinking back in the standings in June and July, it seems like this thing should have, could have, like should have been solidified a, a, a longer, long time ago. Um, what are the Yankees right now? Now that they have the division title, they've got you know they're going to have home field for a playoff series, at, at least one playoff series. Do they feel any better about themselves, Sweeney, or is there is this still a team that has a lot of issues? Um, can it be both? Because I, I I think they feel better about themselves. I still think they have issues. That's okay. Um, I think every team going in and listen, you know, honestly, what um, I think the Dodgers and Astros only clinched like a week ago themselves, really, right? So um, I think they still did enough to spread this out. And uh, and win this thing comfortably when you can do it with over a week's worth of games left to play. I think you. I think you know that's you, you've done as well as you could expect to do. Um, they had a really bad month in August. The schedule lightened up for them in September. They got a little bit healthier. Who are they? They're a dangerous team. That's different. Than, and and so are you know so is Cleveland. So you know well those teams like that fit that bill. Um, I don't think you. I don't think there's any mandate to go into the postseason as a dominant uh, team because I don't think it really matters. We've seen plenty of those teams go down. Um, I think the Yankees are a better pitching team than maybe people realize, probably from a rotation standpoint, because their bullpen has some holes and some issues right now. And I think that they're still. I think that they're still lacking to the point where I. I really do need to have Aaron Judge and Garrett Cole really show up here, okay? I don't think you can win without them earning the ride, if that makes sense. Is there one thing with Stanton that worries you? Giancarlo Stanton. Yeah, that he's not hitting. Yeah. Like, that's worrisome, right? I mean, you know, I think the, there's an idea here that watch out for Stanton when he gets hot. We've all seen it, and that's absolutely true. And he's been a really good postseason performer for the Yankees. But this is, you know, this is a month of really not, you know, not a whole lot there, minus two big hits. Um, 
it's been hard to watch. I the, the problem the Yankees are going to run into potentially is if DJ LeMahieu comes back this week and starts hitting like DJ LeMahieu, right, and shows you that he's healthy, that that foot is not a problem, and that he can go out there and be a, a, a good hitter for this team. Because then, okay, where do you play him? You're not playing him at second base right now because Gleyber Torres is, you know, showing himself again, and he's, you know, he's legit. Uh, Anthony Rizzo is your first baseman. You're not playing him there. Josh Donaldson has played tremendous defense. Uh, he's contributed a little bit more defense uh, offensively in the last couple of weeks, the you know, last two nights notwithstanding, um, than he had earlier. I think you built this team with defense, with an eye on defense. I don't think you want to take Donaldson away from that. So, and if Lemay's at all physically compromised, you know that that's going to show up on defense too. I think so. You're not playing him there. So, are you playing him at DH? Are you are you sitting Giancarlo Stanton uh, because he's not hot? And putting LeMahieu there, well, you're only doing that if LeMahieu is going to go off on a tear over this last week. Um, I I don't know the answer to that. And then, like, keep in mind also, no matter how hot or cold anybody is, you're going to sit for five days at the end of the year before you play your first playoff game. That, that's, a, that's a whole new wrinkle, too. Um, I don't know what the great answer is there. Um, it, it might be a moot point if LeMahieu isn't healthy enough to go. Um, and, and, you know, maybe Matt Carpenter is, but, you know, is there enough runway for Matt Carpenter to take off? And am I getting, you know, the guy who was Roy Hobbs in July, mm-hmm. or am I just getting Matt Carpenter? And mm-hmm. how do, how do I figure, how do I figure that into the equation? So there, I mean, I, I think there are not, I don't think there is a great answer to that yet. You know what I mean? Yeah. Who hits clean up and does it matter who hits clean up in the playoffs? Um, well, if I'm looking at the lineup right now, let's just take LeMahieu out of there. Right now I've got, I'm still batting. I'm going Judge Rizzo Torres as my top three, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, or maybe, or, or yeah, I would think it was the top three. So then it's, you know, Stan Donaldson. The last two nights, that looked terrible, right? They have, yep. What are they? Oh, for 18 with 12 strikeouts the yeah. last two nights. That's troublesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, that's that's where I'm going because I'm not pushing Oswaldo Cabrera up there. I'm not pushing Jose Trevino up there. Um, could I, you know, could I move some guys around and maybe drop Gleyber Torres into that spot? You know, maybe. I could probably fiddle with the three. You know, uh, I could probably fiddle with that a little bit and think about pushing Torres there. Um but I feel like I don't. I don't think that is as important to guys or you know to teams. I feel like you need to set your top three guys and put your best three hitters at the top of the order. And um, I, there's still something different and unique about batting Aaron Judge leadoff. And if DJ LeMahieu is not going to be who you expect and want him to be, Judge is probably your leadoff guy, right? Yeah. And that's still something that's tricky. It's a different type of. It, it's almost the same dynamic is having Ricky Henderson lead off because you're just afraid you're going to be in a one up. You might get there differently. You know, Henderson could hit a home run or he could walk and steal two bases and score in a fly ball, whatever happens. Right. But you're still talking about getting into that immediate hole because the leadoff hitter is going to put you there. Um, I think that's a different dynamic for them. Sweeney, I really get the sense that Glaber Torres is kind of, I don't know if I'd say cementing his place, but he, he's certainly, 
you know, as a lot of those great Yankees do, he certainly seems to be rising the occasion to the occasion in September. And he's been a really good playoff performer too in his right. career, so that shouldn't be lost. And if he's playing this well in September, it is a good sign that you know you're going forward with this. Um, I think something you know that I've noticed is you know he is the beneficiary of everybody working around Aaron Judge the way that they are. Um, Rizzo and you know you needed somebody else to to driving the runs, and in the last week, without judging home runs, Rizzo's doing that, Torres is doing that. You wish Donaldson and Stanton were part of that. Donaldson mm-hmm. was for a little while. Um, but Glaber Torres is a direct beneficiary of this. He's driven in 23 runs in September, his most since his rookie year in one month. May of 2018 uh, was the last time he drove in more runs than he has this month, and there's still time to go here. That's all a direct result of Aaron Judge being on base at a better than 50% clip over the course of his last few weeks. You know, I, Torres is finding it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I said a little earlier in the show that I was talking to a guy doing some advanced scouting, the Yankees for this series, and he's seen Judge, and I asked him, have you noticed anything about Aaron Judge as he's you know, got in 60 and now 61, 62? And he said, he said, I've, I've been on him for a while, and he just seems to me to be a guy who thinks he's going to hit it eventually. And, like, he's not necessarily yeah. expanding. Mm-hmm. We saw him take four walks last night. It was really one at bat where I think he – I thought he, he kind of may be reaching for it a little bit. He's really – he is carrying on like a guy who thinks, I'm going to hit 61, 62 at some point, right? Like, he just does he not seem to be dominated by it. He said something really interesting the other day, and I think this speaks to mindset. He said – you know, he's a believer that home runs are thrown and not hit. Right. You know, these are, you know, you pounce on the mistakes. Okay, well, if you're not going to make those mistakes, then, or, or attempt to make those mistakes, you know what I mean? Like, then, okay, I'm not going to hit one, and that's okay. I'm going to get, I'm going to get my chances when I get my chances, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't think he's ever, um, you know, worried about that part of it. I think the fact that the Yankees have won uh, six of the seven games in which they have a homer, that's, you know, that's mm-hmm. a big thing. That's important to him. They won the division. That's important to him. I would, I would actually, it would, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if he doesn't play tonight, you know, get him a yep. day off and then roll into the final three home games and you know, take aim there. Uh, and you've got, you know, he'll probably play you know, the two or three of the four games in Texas next week. Um, and that's that. You know, you're not aiming at 73 anymore, right? That ship sailed. So you've got a handful of games to get two home runs, and you're right. I don't think he's probably all that worried about getting there um, because I, I, you're right. He's just kind of guy that kind of feel like it's going to happen. It's going to happen here, and um, I, 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 he's doing other things. You've seen him play really good defense. You've seen him take walks and score runs, run the bases. I, I think this is something that's interesting. I don't. You guys would know this because you watch the Jays a lot more than I do, but one thing I've noticed the Yankees do, get really aggressive on the base paths, balls hit to the outfield. I've noticed it as a pattern that they against the Blue Jays. Um, and, you know, they had one guy, through, you know, Rizzo was thrown out last night, mm-hmm. but otherwise, you know, there haven't been close plays on the bases, and they've taken advantage of that. 
Um, I don't know if that's something the other teams have tried or if you notice it as a weak spot, but it really feels like the Yankees push the envelope a lot more against Toronto outfielders than they do against other teams. Yeah, it, I mean, it is it is strange. I haven't noticed it with a lot of other teams just because, you know, when Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is in left field, he's got a pretty good arm. I mean, yeah. he's not the most polished mm-hmm. outfielder, Teoscar but he's got a hose. Teoscar's got a good arm, mm-hmm. and, and George Springer... Uh, George Springer is George Springer. But having said that, you know, there's a reason they're carrying Jackie Bradley Jr. and Bradley Zimmer right now. And part of it is obviously because George Springer is going to have to DH. But I, I, I do think they realize that in the ninth inning of a big game, they might be a little shy defensively in the corners. And you're going to see Jackie Bradley Jr. Like, play a lot. And I don't think arm strength is what it's all about. I mean, you're talking about inaccurate throws that I've seen a few times too. So, yeah. Um, that they've taken advantage of. I just feel like they're pushing that a little bit more. Yeah, and the other thing, too, with with Teoscar is he has had a foot injury, and we did Mm. – there was a series – what series was it, Kevin? It was a Saturday. Remember, he he was – they took him out of the game because it was obviously bothering him in right field, and he'd misplayed a couple of balls. So I don't know if that's that's still a factor, but – uh, yeah, no, I, didn't he foul a ball off his foot the other night? He did, yeah. around? A couple yeah, of times yeah. this year. He's done that. Yeah, he's done that. He's yep. done that a couple of times. Sweeney, we're going to let you scoot, man. Yep. Thanks for doing this. Great Good stuff. stuff. Thank you. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Maybe yeah. we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Absolutely. Yeah. Take care. Sweeney Murdy, Yankees reporter with WFAN. Um, I really noticed that teams running on the Jays or pushing the envelope in the Jays on the Jays outfield that much. Yeah, the Rizzo thing was <laughs> dumb. Plays right in front of you. I, that's you're, you're you're running yourself out of a big inning. Yeah, you don't do that. But I, I guess you make them hit the cutoff guy. You know they they overthrow it. They try and throw it too hard. I mean maybe that's a that's a thing. But yeah, if, if that's what you have to do because you're not hitting certain guys are not hitting. You know JD looks old. I hate to say it that way, but he does. Stanton looks lost. Like, they're going to have to, I hate to say, manufacture. Can you say that with the Yankees team? Yankees lineup? I mean, I, I don't Maybe. know. I, I don't know if, if manufacturing. DJ LeMahieu comes back. He makes them better. I, I still stick to. Uh, yeah, but the issue is when he comes Torres, back, man. then they're going to have five days off between the times they play. Now what? What do you do now? Like, it's you have to play games. Yeah. Well. Be interesting. It will be. I I still think that the, the outing by Severino is probably – other than clinching this thing is probably the uh that was huge for the Yankees to see him mm-hmm. to see him pitch like that and again if they've got Severino and Cole both good to go between Cortez and Tyone you can yeah. probably uh, you you can probably make work do have some issues about that bullpen though bullpen does not throw in the does not the ins- question does not inspire like the guy that I, the guy whose stuff I like the most is Loisica, but I don't know if you can. I, I don't well, know if he's a ninth inning guy. Yeah, may have to be. God, you know, you realize now when you watch the Yankees play how important Mariano was when they were so good. <laughs> just how, 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 what important a, to everybody. What a comfort level that must have mm. been to the manager to know this guy is pitching the ninth and he's going to shut it down. Mm-hmm. Uh, it will be interesting to see if Aaron Judge plays tonight. I think Sweeney may be on to something. Mm. I would not at all be surprised. The Yankees go home and they've got a series against the Orioles. I wouldn't be surprised if Aaron Judge doesn't play tonight. We'll see. I hope he does. Oh, I hope he does too. Mm. But I wonder if Mitch White hope, hopes he does. Mm. It's the big leagues. Yeah. Man up, Jeff. Oh, yeah. Man up. 
That's it for Barker and myself today. We'll be back immediately following the Blue Jays game tonight with Blue Jays talk. Jays magic number is two. There is a scenario where they're spraying champagne after the game tonight and celebrating on the field. And uh, maybe they'll be able to do it while we're on air with Blue Jays talk, which would be kind of fun. And uh, if not, we will talk about it tomorrow. Again, 10 to noon Eastern on 590-360, wherever you get your favorite podcast. Have a great day. Enjoy the baseball.